Well, as of today, if anyone asks you the question, how long has your church been around, you can tell them 20 years. It's 20 years today. And uh, as part of our time in God's Word, we are going to uh, finish up what I've called uh, the punch list. If you need a, a copy of the handout, just raise your hand. Got one up here in the front. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you that you have been so faithful to us and even as we we sang today that, that we are to trust you that You give us that most wonderful, wonderful promise. The promise that you gave uh, to your people under the old covenant. That uh, in the end, all things that you put us through, all tests, all trials, all these years, Father, that you do it in the end to do us good. And uh, we have that promise again, that great promise given to us under the new covenant in Romans chapter 8. Hence the reason we're to consider such trials as joy because we know that you take in your people's lives and this is only true for your people. The privilege we've been given, the promise we've been given is you take those things and you make them good things. The bad things become good things. And so we're thankful for that. We see how you have carried us as a father carries his son all these years, two decades now in this church, how you've provided for us and how you've protected us. Father, we pray that the years to come would be no different, that we would be faithful to you, trusting you and your promises. Make it so and use your word here today to further that cause. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'll direct your eyes to the, <clears throat> the top of the punch list, I want to read again as I've read the past couple of weeks the definition of that term. What is a punch list? Well, it is a list of those items that remain outstanding or undone and must be completed to finish a job and receive final compensation. This is a term that is generally used or commonly used in the construction industry, and that is what it refers to. Applied to the Christian life, no Christian can die with a punch list intact and expect to get to heaven. In other words, we must finish our punch list. And as my brother prayed earlier, that is what Jesus even speaks to in Revelation chapter 3 verse 2, that In that particular church, there were items on the list that were left undone. Below items represent those things your pastor believes to still be on his people's punch list. And as I've been saying, it doesn't mean that uh, everything on this list applies to you or any of it applies to you, but you need to be asking the question nonetheless, what does possibly apply to you? By way of review then, number one, ditch the skirt, ditch the skirt, 
God commands men to repent of women-like behavior. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, act like men. And as we saw, that means no crying, panicking, or quitting, or feeling sorry for yourself when you get scared, picked on, or things get rough. Instead, again, we are to act like men, which is the opposite of all of those things. Number two, teach sinners your ways. Teach sinners your ways. According to David, we are to speak openly about our failures as the means to not only dissuading others from following the same path, but also as a means to demonstrating our repentance to God. We're to speak about our failures. That's part of our, again, our repentance. Number three, imitate, don't ignorate. Imitate, don't ignorate. We are commanded to imitate God or Christ in everything that we do, which means never giving the excuse, I don't know what to do, but instead finding the answer to what would God or Jesus do. Number four, be a sponge, not a shield. Be a sponge, not a shield. God commands us to be sponges. Those who are always super excited to learn everything we can, be around the saints as much as we can and change wherever we need to change versus shields, those whose lives are guarded or resistive to such learning fellowship and change. Be a sponge. Not a shield. Number five, get your head in the game. Head in the game. If we're to avoid becoming the prey of Satan, we need to constantly be aware and assessing our current situation, mission, or purpose, and what that situation, mission, or purpose requires to stay on the course to heaven. Which means this, every waking action is a winning play or a losing play, In the game of life. That's how we're to look at our lives. Number six, stupid is as stupid does. Stupid is as stupid does. Which means this, a person is identified or judged by what they do, not what they want to do or be. Proverbs 20, I actually skipped over it last week and I want to make sure that I read it Uh, to you this week in reference to this that we are judged and that God will judge us according to what we do we are what we do or identified by what we do rather than what we want to do or what we think we are Proverbs 20 verse 11 even a child it says makes himself known by his acts by whether his conduct is pure and upright Catch what the author is saying there. Even a child. Even, in other words, this is true of a child. They are known by what they do. How much more than the adult or someone other than a child? You are identified by what you do. And if what you do is stupid, then that's how God views you. To stop, therefore, being identified in this way means to stop making stupid decisions. And to stop making stupid decisions starts 
by seeking to understand what you are dealing with. As we talked about last time, the context before opening your mouth or making that decision. Understanding often requires the help of others. Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there is no guidance, people fall. But where there is an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Understanding often requires the help of others. Number seven, hell is paved with good intentions. And at the time we discussed this, I said this, stop deceiving yourself. Again, all of these relate to at least one person in this congregation, maybe more. Maybe you're this person. You believe that somehow your good intentions matter to God. They do not. In this way, then, you are deceiving yourself. From God's perspective, either you were obedient or you were not. Per Jesus' words in Matthew 21, only those who were obedient when tempted are those doing God's will and on their way to heaven. A lot of people will go to hell who had very, very good intentions, but when temptation came, they failed. Number eight, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Not only is God judging us based on every word that we say, but our brain is also listening to what we say and programming us accordingly. We saw this from Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks, so is he. So watch your, so watch your mouth. By what you say, you'll be judged and directed. As I've said for some time now, we are self-programmed robots. Number, one, uh, number nine, beware of the earth, wind, water, fire people. Beware of the earth, wind, water, fire people. Earth, wind, water, fire people. Life and solving the problems of life is often so complicated that it cannot be boiled down to something simplistic or only to a few small things. People who think this way today, the earth, wind, water, fire people, are very dangerous since they are unteachable to expanding their understanding and tend to view anyone who teaches or believes things as more complicated as untrustworthy. According to the Apostle Peter, we must not only beware of such people, but avoid becoming them ourselves. Now this is a the example I'm about to give is not in relation to the types of simplistic things that people may think in this congregation. It relates to people on the outside, but I think by this you'll get the point. Uh, an example of this from the secular world would be the people today who are pushing the social justice agenda, the love who you want agenda, right? We need social justice for everyone, which means that the homosexual should be able to love whoever they want. Everybody should just be able to love uh, whoever they want. Well, what's the failure there in that understanding? Well, uh, for these people, again, it's uh, like I say, uh, people who are unwilling to have uh, complex thinking. The kind of thinking that this type of a situation requires, uh, since they are not considering what this means from an 
equity position. And equity, by the way, is the, is the great equalizer when it comes to the issue of justice or determining justice. Equity. Equity. Which, when you apply it to this particular scenario, everybody gets to love who they want. It means letting the pedophile and the rapist also love who they want. Something that I guarantee those pushing this particular agenda would never do. They would never allow their kids or their spouses uh, uh, to go in the direction of those people. And so, what have they not done? Well, they've, uh, they've not thought through this particular position, as I say, from an equitable standpoint. They've not looked at the complexities of the decision that they're currently making as it relates to this issue. Which means, at the end of the day, they're not truly equitable, fair or just, but rather discriminatory and unjust. And that all because of their dumbing down, their simplicity, their naivety, and their unwillingness to think about the complex things that need to be thought through to get the right answer. Well, that brings us then to the new material for today. Three additional things on this punch list. Number 10, stop driving east to go to California. Stop driving east to go to California. Stop driving east to go to California. The two Proverbs, Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25, Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 say the same thing. They say this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Both of those proverbs say just that, which means this. You may think that you're heading in the right direction, the direction that leads to heaven, but if the focus of your life, where you spend your time, uh, what you spend your time thinking about or practicing is contrary to God, what He calls you to spend your time doing or thinking about or practicing, then you most assuredly are not going to end up where you are hoping. That is like driving east to get to California. Look on the map, it's due west. And for some of you, especially those who have recently gone under discipline, this is what you are doing. You are driving east and hoping to get to California. In other words, you want to go to heaven, but the direction of your life is the opposite direction. Which means this is what you need to do, and for that matter, every one of us. A healthy little exercise on a sheet of paper, and you can do this even right now. Uh, write the following phrases. Uh, on the left side, write the words, I want to go to, and then put a blank. I want to go to, blank. And on the right side, write these words. I am on the path that leads to, and then again, put another blank. So on the left side... I want to go to blank. And on the right side, I am on the path that leads to blank. And then do this. Fill each of the blank spots with either the word heaven or hell based on where you want to go. That's the left side. I want to go to either heaven or hell. And on the right side, the path that you are honestly on. This is where you need to be Honest. 
And for those of you who have recently gotten ill for looking at porn and playing with yourself, you most definitely need to write the words hell on the right side. Since that is the particular path that your current actions demonstrate you have been on. Then once you have done that, see if what you've written down makes any sense. By looking at what you've written on the left side, I want to go to blank. Does it make any sense with what you've put there, with what you wrote on the right side? I am on the path that leads to blank. Does it make any sense? Attempt to explain to yourself or your parents how being on the path that leads to hell will somehow get you to heaven, which is the word that I assume you wrote, every one of us, on the, on the left side. I want to go to heaven. I am on the path that leads to hell. For those who find themselves in this predicament, after doing this little exercise, understand that you are the epitome of what Proverbs 14 and 16 are talking about. You're a crazy person who thinks the path leading to hell will somehow get you to heaven. Parents, I would highly recommend that you do this particular exercise with your kids on a regular basis. Teach them to stop driving east to get to California. Teach them that if they want to go to heaven, then the path they are currently on, i.e. how they live their daily lives, needs to lead in that direction. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, when you do the little exercise It's, I want to go to heaven, the path that I'm on leads to hell. Again, make them explain to you how they expect to do it. If there's any chance of them waking up, this is how you do it, since connecting the dots regarding these things is the key then to spiritual awakening, right? To the aha moment. It takes realizing that where I want to go and the direction that I am currently heading are not congruent. Lots of people live uh, Proverbs 14 and 16 simply because they have not thought through what we're talking about right now. They've not thought through the fact that they want to go someplace that the, the path they're on doesn't lead. The driving east and trying to get to California. This is like, a, for those of you who've seen Dumb and Dumber, right? And uh, I think it's when they get the, the, the moped and they start driving the, the wrong direction, right? Driving in the wrong direction will never get you to the place that, you, that you're wanting to go. People not realizing, not taking the time To understand that their life is a damning and crazy contradiction. This little exercise, by the way, has biblical precedent. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse 4. James is essentially doing the same thing by what he says here. He's attempting to get to this particular a group of people, his original audience, to, to realize this or to wake up. You adulterous people, do you not know 
that friendship with the world is enmity or war with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, 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 you want to be the friend of God, and yet the, the direction that you're currently heading with your life is the opposite of that. Because of your love of the world, you can't be the friend of God. You're, you're, you're driving east to go to California. Number 11, the 11th item on the list, stop robbing temples. Stop robbing temples. Where I'm getting this from is uh, actually Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, verse 22, Romans chapter 2, verse 22 Paul says this, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? This uh, phrase, rob temples, possibly a figure of speech referring to masturbation or sexual immorality. Again, if you consider the immediate context here. It begins with, uh, do you commit adultery? And so the immediate context here is uh, sexual in nature. This makes more sense, by the way, uh, viewing uh, this verse in this, uh, from this perspective uh, as referring to uh, something sexual in nature rather than actual theft of idols from false temples by the Jews. Why do I say that? Well, uh, no Jew would go near such a place. The only uh, temple they would go to was their own, but there was no idols in God's temple. But in Scripture, in Scripture, our bodies, and most especially our sexual organs, our genitals, are viewed in this light. Our bodies are compared to God's temple, and our genitals, its inner sanctum, or most sacred space, the holy of holies. The place where the, the high priest would meet with God in the most intimate way. As a matter of fact, the language that's used there uh, to speak of that particular time when he would go in there, that once a year time, uh, Yom Kippur, uh, speaks of, of God as uh, revealing or unclothing himself in that place. As such, what took place in the Holy of Holies can be compared to what takes place during sexual activity and vice versa. They are sacred acts and they are to take place in private only between those who are in holy covenant with one another. They are also acts that create a deep spiritual bond between the respective parties. Paul speaks of this in his first epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 15 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 15 through 20. He says this, do you not know this about your bodies, that they are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee then from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Notice how Paul is here equating the union that takes place through sexual activity with the union that we gain through or with Christ or God. Notice again in verses 16 and 17, these phrases, join to the Lord and becomes one spirit with him. That first phrase, join to the Lord, where and how this takes place for the Christian is through entering the Holy of Holies, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. We enter through the veil, it says there, which is a reference to that place, into that very intimate space so that we can have that kind of intimate union with the Lord. We can be joined to Him. We can become one spirit with Him. And here again is how Paul refers to it. We become one spirit with Him. And this is exactly what Jesus prayed for in John 17, verse 21, in His high priestly prayer, that they may become one with us. The point then not to miss, anytime you commit sexually immoral acts, including masturbation or looking at porn, you are taking what is sacred out of its sacred environment and spiritually uniting yourself through such acts with what is false and filthy. You are in essence robbing God's temple, which is again your body, rather than honoring God with it. Hence the reason all immoral sexual activity is also viewed in Scripture as a form of idolatry, the pursuit of false religion. Those of you who are guilty of doing these things need to realize then that what God has given to us as sex or sexual organs has far more importance and meaning than what you're currently giving it. Hence the reason you don't respect your sexual parts. You don't treat them, in other words, as sacred. This, by the way, is also an issue among some of the men in relation to your wives. You don't seem to get that when you let them wear things that expose their nakedness to others. You're like the guy who runs the prostitutes. You're a pimp, only worse. You are, by allowing such exposure, soliciting other men to rob your temple. You're treating what God gave only to you as though it were not sacred, but common. Something to be used by everyone. So once more, to those of you guilty of playing around with this stuff, stop robbing temples or soliciting others to do so. Finally, on the punch list, same game, same game, different ball. Same game, different ball. Same game, different ball. One of the excuses that people sometimes make when their kids get excommunicated for jerking off or looking at porn is, well, I think they were too young to comprehend exactly what they were getting themselves into when they got baptized, right? They, they didn't know about sex, right? So, you know, can we really blame them? Well, there are two responses to this kind of complaint, both which, by the way, are crucial to you discipling and uh, seeing that your child is uh, restored. Here's the first thing they need to know. There are no take-backs with God. There are no take-backs 
with God. Which means once you make covenant with God, even if it's for the wrong reasons, a junior did it to make mommy and daddy happy. God does not care. God will hold you to it and will declare you forever apostate should you choose to renege. We have the absolute perfect example of this, I believe, in Deuteronomy 31, 26 and 29, along with what we see in verses 16 and 21. There, Moses makes clear on behalf of God, he says, after my death, you're, 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 going, to, you're going to leave God. Your hearts are not right. I can see it right now. The state of who you are, or God's made it apparent to me, that uh, you're, you're not fully committing the way that you should, and yet God still allows them to enter into covenant. God still allows them. And God will still hold them to it. And so this idea that, well... Uh, we need to figure out whether that person was able to comprehend uh, everything that was going to happen or uh, was going to be a part of their life at the time that they made that decision. Were they smart enough, etc., etc.? That doesn't matter. There's no takebacks. Even if they came into the thing half-hearted, God says, you make the commitment, you make the deal, you stick to it. So that's the first response. Here's the second. Temptation is... The same. Temptation is the same. And what I mean when I say that is this. When you are five, temptation is the same. When you're that age, is when you're 25, 35, 55, or 75. It's all the same. Temptation is the same. In other words, the intensity and the feelings that need to be conquered are there and the same the moment you're born and last until the day you die. At every age, we experience 10 level temptations. That doesn't change. The only thing that does change are the objects of temptation. The objects. When you're five, it's wanting to eat or play video games all the time. When you hit puberty, that changes to sex. And when you get older, it changes to money or power. Which means it's the same game, just a different ball. Same game, different ball. Which also means, parents, that if you didn't teach your kids to get a hold of uh, temptation when they were young, you didn't, in other words, teach them self-control with the temptations of food and fun, uh, you instead discounted those things as not that bad, then you won't be able to control or they won't be able to control themselves when the temptations are more serious or even capital in nature. Like sexual sin. Sexual sin. Let me just say that all again. If you didn't teach your kids to get a hold of temptation when they were young, you didn't teach them self-control with the temptations of food and fun, uh, those uh, less serious things, then they won't be able to control themselves when those temptations are more serious. You see, the, the ball now that they're playing with is far more serious. Sex, sexual things, capital crime type things. Very interesting that uh, scripture actually deals with the connection between these two things, by the way, food and uh, sex. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that text that we were just in, the verses just prior to the ones that I read to you, Paul says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not made or meant for sexual immorality, but the Lord and the Lord for the body. Notice Paul is making a connection here then between food, what is lawful, and that's what he means by all things are lawful. He's making a connection between that, what is lawful, and sexual sin, what is not lawful or unlawful. His point? Being dominated, his word, not mine, I will not be dominated by anything. Being dominated by what is lawful leads to being dominated by what is not. Let me just say that again. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to write that in the margin of your Bible. Being dominated by what is lawful leads to being dominated by what is not. And this goes right back to the principle I just gave you. If you're not teaching your kids, parents, now how to say no to things, in this case, again, the temptation is to food and fun, which is all they think about, right? Just food and fun all the time. If you're not teaching them that kind of self-control now, then they won't have the self-control over temptation, another level 10 temptation, but this time the ball is very different. Same game, but it's a different ball. And that ball now is sex or sexual sin. Being dominated by what is lawful leads to being dominated by what is The key then, learning ASAP or teaching your kids ASAP how to overcome or resist temptation since once you know how to conquer that game, it won't matter the ball that is thrown into the court. You see? It won't matter. Proverbs 22.6, a text that uh, all of us have read for for many years. I think this is actually what the... uh, the author is getting at it. It says this, Train up a child the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, I think this is exactly the principle that he's attempting to teach here. Teach, in other words, the child to overcome the temptation in his or her life now. Those little things, right? The little things. And he's saying, teach them that, and they will not depart from that path or give in to the temptations when they get older and experience other things that are tempting whether it be sex or money or power or whatever else. They will not depart from that path. They've learned how to conquer the game, which means, again, the ball doesn't matter. The ball doesn't matter. So the closing contemplation then for today, and to close out our time, is going to be in relation to this, this last point. Parents, are you practicing saying no to temptation? Because it starts with what you do in your life, right? Your kids are watching what you do. Parents, are you practicing saying no to temptation and teaching your kids self-control when it comes to food and fun? Are you practicing saying no to temptation and teaching your kids self-control when it comes to food and fun so that you and them do not become susceptible to the temptation when it becomes more serious, as in capital crimes? 
Are you practicing saying no to temptation and teaching your kids self-control when it comes to food and fun? So that you and them do not become susceptible to that temptation when it becomes more serious. As in capital crimes. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. As I said last week, without a committed plan, you are planning to fail. And failing is what you will do if you leave any of the items we discussed on your punch list. So once more, as I've said, week after week, get to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you. As we finish out uh, this particular list, I pray that it's had impact on your people and uh, most uh, specifically those for whom each of these items uh, was intended for. And I pray to make the changes out of love and obedience to you that they need to make so that they can hear on that day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, make it so, we pray in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.